two, I should really figure this out. Episode 247, I think. Maybe 248. I don't know. With Mr. Edmundo Morales, who was involved in the biggest shootout in FBI history. And his book, FBI Miami Firefight, available on Kindle. But I'm going to dock points because it's not on Audible. So I always scold the author when the book isn't on Audible because I'm too ADD. But... It's, I can get my phone to everyone that's listening to this podcast is tearing their hair out because I say this every time when it's on Kindle you can get Kindle to read it to you for everybody listening for ADD people like me you can get the voice to read it to you but Audible is the way to go so I always I, I dock points Mr. Morales I'm docking points so you're at an A minus but before I start talking like an idiot how about you introduce yourself sir sure Thomas uh, Ed Morales uh, retired FBI uh, agent uh, Joined uh, up in 1979 out of the Washington Washington field office, and um, I retired in 2004 uh, out of Quantico, Virginia, out of the training academy. Had a, a great career to almost 25 complete years. Um, then um, after that, uh, went on to work as a uh, with a defense contractor in Alexandria, and then ended up uh, with a defense contractor in Iraq for about four years and. Then with the State Department in uh, Mexico City and then Belize, uh, Central America. But it's been a good run. Uh, my my career in the FBI was a, a great, great uh, experience, great adventures. Yeah. And it's, I was going to say, early on, and you, you talked about uh, Sofia, Bulgaria. That's correct. I, <laughs> I forgot about that part of my life. I was in the Marine uh, Security uh, Program, mm-hmm. which uh, the uh, Marine Security Battalions, uh, have. Uh, they run security for U.S. embassies abroad. And um, I uh, happened to be lucky enough to be selected for that program. Um, I got selected in 19, God, I'm tired to think, 1972. And uh, I, I went through the training program and uh they have, they have a high high washout rate. Uh, it, it, it's about a forty percent dropout rate you yeah. know, for various reasons. You know, uh, you can't pass security, or you know, you can't pass a test, or, or what have you. But um, I managed managed to squeeze my way my, my way through the training, you know, and and through the security backgrounds, and I ended up in Sofia, Bulgaria, which was an absolute incredible experience you know yeah. talk about um, people talk, people say hey you know the iron curtain you know the communist this and socialism guys i gotta tell you i lived there for a year it was terrible yeah absolutely terrible yeah. uh i mean i i had it good i was an american with uh, with protection you know living at the embassy but the people uh, there, I mean, it was. I mean, it was sad. I mean, it was like 1984. You know, dystopia. Yeah. It was yeah. like, oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, and, but that's the truth. And I was going to because one thing I always bring up is this. I mean, this podcast is unapologetically patriotic, and I take a chance to uh, crap on socialism and, and and communism every chance I get. One oh, of my, absolutely. yeah, one of my friends though, Ivan Georgiev, G E O R G I E V. I've known him for about nine years now. He's he's one of those guys that you just want to hate because he's tall and handsome and smart. I mean, he's six four and he looks like the Terminator. You know, you know th- there are so few of us left. You know, touche, <laughs> touche. All right, all right, all right. You've got it. All right, I was okay. I haven't been taken off guard on this podcast. You just took me up two hundred and forty eight episodes in. You just swept my feet. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, but you know what? The, uh, your friend uh, Gorge? Gor- 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 Ivan Gorgiev. 
Ivan, you know, he's absolutely right. I lived there a year, you know, and, and the people, I mean, it was, it was, the, I mean, yeah. I, I had, I had the, the best of all worlds and I was depressed. Yeah. You, you, you looked at the people. I mean, everybody was dressed in drab clothing, you know, um, everybody had to work. You know, there, there, there's no, there's no free ride. People talk about, oh yeah, socialism, socialism, socialism. Those people had no free ride. Yeah. If you did not work, you did not eat. Okay. And I, that was brought home one day when uh, I was walking from, uh, we had gone to a, a uh, an event at the British embassy uh, with, with the uh, British Marines that were, uh, that were guarding the, uh, the British embassy. That's a nice way of saying we went out. We went out and got shit faced with the British Marines, you know. So, but um, we were we were we were walking back. My my a couple of Marine buddies of mine were walking back, and and I was stunned when I saw what was going on because it, it had snowed mm-hmm. in, the, in the in the day before or, or and that that same day, and I was looking at at the um, plazas and and the the, the big streets, uh, the main streets in downtown, and I saw dump trucks, you know being being moved forward a few a few feet you know and then people were shoveling snow off the off the street onto the truck and i said oh my god oh, i said shit. don't they even have like have a, a, plow. A, a tractor or a plow or something and you know what that was just the beginning of my shock do you know who was shoveling the snow yeah. 60 70 year old women were shoveling that snow into the truck. It, they were wearing, you know, they were trying to stay as warm as possible. There were, some were wearing boots, some were, some were wearing shoes and, and the stockings and babushkas and, and stuff. And I was stunned. My, my teeth just about fell out of my mouth when I saw these senior ladies shoveling snow of the, the the boulevards in downtown Sofia, and I asked around. I asked some of the uh, Bulgarian employees at the embassy. They said, "Hey, I mean, these people have to work. Nobody nobody gets a yeah. free ride." Yeah. And and I and I'm thinking, my God, that's social security for these people. Yeah. There there was there was social security age. There were 60, 70 year olds, and that was their reward yeah. for a long life. Yeah. Uh, 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 being a Bulgarian citizen, you got to get up at midnight and shovel snow in the in the you know sub zero weather, or else you don't eat, or else you don't get heat to your house. Yeah. Because that's another thing I found out in Bulgaria, they controlled the uh, the heat was uh, was generated at a, at a factory. Yeah. It, it, it was all radiators. Yeah. It was all radiator heat in the buildings. So, you know, the hot water was controlled for, by the government. So they could turn the Just heat on the or they could turn the heat off. Yeah. You know, any way you want to play it. Yeah. And of course, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat, you know. So, and, and if you don't want, if you want, if you want to play tough, you know, they'll cut your heat off. No, you yeah. Know, I, was, I, was, I was shocking, you know. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, at the time I was like 19, 20 years old and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> incredible. Well, well, I was going to say, yeah, and the don't eat. That's the nice end of it. If you really don't want to work, they'll put you against the wall, which yeah, 100 yeah, million, yeah, yeah. 1917 yeah. to 2017, 100 million dead from socialism and communism. But Ivan, yeah. I met Ivan, I I was 20, about to turn 21. I was here in Ocean City, Maryland, in between summers at UGA, University of Georgia. And I met Ivan up here on like a uh, like a work exchange program where they would come over from Europe, all these Eastern European guys, work the most insane shifts ever 
just they would work 13 14 hour shifts and then then they'd do another one next door but they'd save up money because the exchange rate they could pay for a whole year of college right and i met ivan and i was like who is this like six four i mean you could sharpen a a machete on his jawbone looked like the terminator and i was like this guy's my new friend because because like i was i i worked out at the time and it was he and i and i was like there's my new workout buddy but i met ivan ivan born and raised till he was 21 sophia bulgaria and he he's yeah i remember meeting him and he really solidified like all of my views in the world because he was like he was just like you know like you have it so good here he'd be like people that don't work they just get free things and that was his observation that that is that is the I, i don't know what word to put on it thomas that is the the true gift that america uh that americans give themselves okay if you're a lazy, no good person, okay, you get, you know, you get taken care of. If, oh, yeah. if you if you if you choose not to work, someone's going to take care of you. Yeah. You know, you know. Um, another thing that I forgot to mention is, is you'll find this pretty shocking. You know, we used to get um, the uh, the old uh, coffee cans. You know, the the the, the one quart coffee cans with the old Folgers mm-hmm. cans. You know with mm-hmm. the plastic lid on top, yeah. you would open the top, you know, take the top off and then the plastic lid would keep the, um, the coffee, uh, you know, uh, from, from, from hardening or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, keep it fresh. And then we would use like, um, uh, bottles of Clorox, you know, the plastic bottles of Clorox or the, um, the, the two, uh, two ounce, uh, two liter, uh, bottles of, uh, of soda and stuff like that. Anything with a screw cap on there. And, you know, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I, I wasn't anything special. I was just an, an, another poor kid out of South Texas, you sure. know, joined the Marine Corps, you know, I mean, I was going to get drafted, you know, so yeah, I, yeah. I, pre- yeah, I preempted, I preempted the, yeah. <laughs> the draft, you know, but I mean, I wasn't anything special. I mean, my, my, my dad was just a, uh, a worker. Yeah. I mean, my mom stayed at home, yeah. you know, and, and, um, so, I mean, we weren't rich by any, any stretch yeah. of the imagination, but yeah. when, what I saw in Bulgaria, the trash that we dumped, we dumped it outside of the embassy in, in, in a bin and we had a camera to, because for security purposes, you know, you don't want somebody putting an IED in yeah. the trash can. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know that, that's before I'll IEDs were, were cool. Yeah. You know, that's back in 72, you <laughs> yeah. know, said, you hipster, know. <laughs> hipster IEDs before yeah, it was you cool. Know, you know, so, but we had cameras uh, watching the trash can, you know, and sure. I was, I would see people, I mean, I'd be on duty and I'd see people, you know, going through the bins. And I'm, I, I, the first time I saw it, I ran down, you know, I thought somebody was sure. was doing something nefarious. Put you know, you know there, I ran yeah. down, I mean, I had my hand on my gun, you know, and I opened the door and I said, you know, I forget, I said something about Gary, like, what, kakpo, kakpo, you yeah. know. I think it was, I think, what's, what's going on or what, what, what. And uh, the, the people were startled. They were like, oh, no, you know, and they were, they were taking those bottles they were taking those cans with lids on them clorox bottles with with screw tops and i i looked at them you know and i said it, it instantly hit me and I, I said oh my god you know as i said you know you know molia molia you know it was like okay yeah, okay you know yeah. you know you know it's like so they went their way and then I, the next day I, I talked to the other marines and i talked to uh, some of the uh, bulgarian uh, staff people that spoke english they said yeah Ed, you know we can't get these types of products here, you know, anything with a lid on it is, is gold Yeah. because you can, you can store stuff, 
you can you know keep yeah. stuff fresh you can keep stuff from getting spoiled or, or rained on or whatever and that shocked me i said why would anybody use a bleach a clorox bottle i mean that, that could be poisonous i mean unless you unless you're transporting water i yeah. mean you know you know chlorine oh, yeah. and water oh, go yeah. together sure. you know but you know but and then there's screw screw jars for like uh olives or something like that yeah. everything yeah everything was a commodity there yeah and and these people here in the states oh yeah you know america is so it's, bad it's it's a third state. world country dude yeah. i mean if you've ever if you ever lived in the real soviet bloc Back when it was the the, the 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 Iron Curtain, yeah, I mean that was harsh, man. I mean they were they were they were t- you know taking our trash because it was it gold. was golden to them, yeah. you know. So um, I mean, there's just so many stories. Uh, I went to their uh, to there was one department store or grocery like a like a Publix or, or a, a, I don't know what what do you have up in in you know, Safeways or Safeway Food Lion Kroger yeah, Publix like, yeah it, it, like I went I went to the one store that was their equivalent of a Food Lion or whatever it was and I was walking around and I I saw all these you know typical gigantic uh, refrigerator uh, areas sure. where you would typically see meat and cheese and fish and and other types of produce. And the only thing I saw was a crowd of people standing around these bins. And again, you know, being being the, the you know the naive you know squirrely Texas kid, you know, I'm thinking, what guys, what's going on here? And they said, oh, they're waiting. I said, yeah, but there's nothing in the bins. It, it, they're all empty. And they said, they said, yeah, I said, they're waiting. I said, they're waiting for what? They're waiting to see if today is the day that a shipment of meat will come in. Good or Lord. If, if today is, a, is the day that they get a shipment of fish, or if today is the day that they get a shipment of, of pork or, or, or ham. And I said, are you kidding me? So they come in and, and whenever the store opens and they hang out for who God knows what, eight hours. And, and they said, yeah, I mean, that's the way it is. Yeah. And I was shocked again, you know, I mean, shock upon shock upon shock. So I walked around the, I walked around this quote unquote grocery store and I said, where are all the fruits and vegetables? And the, 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 my fellow Marines laughed at me, you know, because we were at the embassy, you know, we, we, we know we yeah. got, you know, we, we made uh, PX runs from Sofia to, yeah. to Athens, Greece. The embassy had a six by one of those military trucks. We would send it down to Athens, Greece every couple of months to pick up, you know, Fritos and oranges and yeah, yeah. avocados and grapes and stuff like that. These people had to wait for the government to, uh, to, to, to produce it, you know, and it's like, bread you, you couldn't even buy, buy bread you had to go to a special store you know i mean it's like most european countries you know uh, so, some european countries you know have a bread store and a cheese store and a meat store and that type of stuff but there i mean it was just you know cash is cash can you know i mean there were there were no such things as bread stores cheese stores meat stores you know it was just it's, whatever the government gave you it's insane yeah and it, that's one thing i always point to is i point to people like ivan who when he could move here he did and he yeah. was Mr. Bulgaria, and now he's a professional bodybuilder out in Las Vegas making money <laughs> off his whey proteins. But he is the American dream. Another friend, Prince, Prince Blackosh from Kosovo, whose dad had his arms and legs broken because he was a journalist publishing uh, not nice things about the Serbians. Prince moved here. <laughs> I remember meeting Prince. Prince barely spoke English. Prince is now a physical therapist in Manhattan. 
And Great. you look at Great. those two, and you have people going, you know, America, we're a third world country in a Gucci belt, right? We're this is a dystopia. And I'm like, why do these guys crawl over, excuse my French, but drag their balls through broken glass just to get here? And if you talk to them, they're oh, they've got American flags on their truck. They're you know, they wake up in the morning and say the national like they say the Pledge of Allegiance, and you're like, you're like, what are you doing, man? And they're like, be grateful. Like be and yeah. like you yeah, never exactly. realize yeah. it. And I agree. You know, you, I mean, you know, I mean I've seen it with my own eyes. You yeah. know, luckily I, my my sentence was only one year. Yeah. You know, those people's sentences was life. For life, yeah. You know? Life in prison, you know, yeah. and, and uh, you know, uh, these American wackadoos, Amer- American uh, na- na- naive idiots, they have no clue what yeah. re- real socialism is. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, look at Venezuela. I mean, that's that's just yeah. down the road yeah. south of us, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's like but- Cuba. I mean, Cuba is, is another example of what a socialist yeah. uh, in a country is, you know. Yeah. Do you know what do you know what the wages are down there for uh, for a uh, worker down there? I think it's like a 762 uh, round. How much? I said a 762 round. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> that's the, that's wages, the wage. You know? I mean, but you know, I, I think it's like fifteen bucks a month. Something, some ridiculous wow. amount of money. You know, I mean, the, the you know, um, I don't know if you heard this, but when when uh, the Obama administration opened the um, uh, opened opened the, uh, yeah, end of uh, the embargo. Yeah, diplomatic uh, ties uh, to Cuba and so on and so forth. A lot of a lot of corporations wanted to get their foot in the door. You know, I mean, think about it. You've got a, a, a fresh labor. market down there. You know, I mean, it's like you know, uh, you've got people that that are probably hungry for anything. You know, and they it's a typical China syndrome. You know, if you wanna if you wanna do business in Cuba, you have to open a factory in Cuba so that way they can you know steal your intellectual property and, and control you and yeah. so on and so on and so on. But the companies, you know, they were in, in, in the midst of negotiations, you know, and um, they said, hey, we will pay your employees, you know, minimum wage, which, you know, the, the companies were thinking American minimum wage, you know, which was like, you know, five bucks an hour or whatever sure. for eight hours of work. Well, how much is five times eight? Forty. Yeah. OK. Times times five. You know, that's, that's yeah. two hundred bucks a, a, a week. week. Yeah. Okay. Well, the government, the, the Cuban government, told these corporations, "No, uh, you will, you will pay the, those wages to the government. Okay, not to, not directly to the employees. You'll, you'll give those wages directly to the government, and then we, the government, will in turn pay your employees. Why? Because they didn't want to give them two hundred dollars a month. They wanted to give them twenty dollars a month. Okay. So." All that, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term hard cash. You know, these communist countries, they don't they don't have hard cash. So that was one of their ways, one of the Cuban ways that they were going to get hard cash for for their their economy. You know, um, have these corporations go down there. And, and instead of paying the employees directly, they had to pay the government. And then the the government would keep the employee in in its in its place Mm -hmm. down under the jack boot. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, instead of paying him $200 a week, they would pay him 220 bucks a month, like yeah. it's a standard, yeah. you know? So, I mean, I don't, I don't know how, how these people say, like Bernie Sanders says, oh yeah, you know. Red but, lines are good. Red lines yeah, are good. No, no, but the, the, you know, the Cuban system, at least, at least they all get a good education. It's like, yeah, but they, they get nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen that? There's like a meme and it's all these like Cubans on like a raft made of trash cans and tires 
players and it's like look at these poor fools they're like they had no idea that they're leaving uh they're, they're leaving free health care and free education like and it's like yeah how great is it when they're like i'm gonna float 90 miles we might go adrift we might get eaten by sharks but yeah. we're not going but, home and it's yeah. Well, and the yeah. only reason that can exist is because what did Che Guevara say? You cannot have a communist revolution with a free press. So how does it in the question must arise? Why is yeah. this happening in America? Well, it's because you have to completely control the narrative, because if anyone could just look at something like Venezuela and go look at all the years of prosperity, switch to socialism. And now it's kids eating their cats. And you're like, yeah. You're like, yeah. what happened there? Well, that that's shushed up. That's and that's the. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Stalin would blush at at the censorship today. Stalin would yeah. be like, he yeah. he is. Stalin is saluting Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg. They're just like, wow, you guys can shut down. You guys can censor the president if you want. And that's how it starts. And right now, that's, that's, the, that's text, yeah, the tech the censorship that is, just... is the anaconda, and it's just wrapping around yeah. right now. And you're just starting to feel the slight pressure as it's constricting. Wait until it goes for the death squeeze. And then all of a sudden, all you see in the news is Biden is your new premier. Don't question anything. And you're like, oh, shit, yeah. OK, and you will get bread yeah. on Wednesday. OK, sure. And it's yeah. Yeah. it's a bunch yeah. of bullshit. Just, uh, we'll be standing next to empty refrigerators waiting for, you know, the uh, the produce screw, to arrive. Screw that. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. I would rather die on my feet than live on my knees. You'll be right there with me, Ed. We're going to go agree. out shooting. We're going to go I out agree. shooting. And let's segue that into shooting our way out of problems. And I say our <laughs> because, you know, between you and I, we have been in the biggest FBI shootout ever. Technically, between you and I, we have. And not that I have any experience, but I had Charlie Duke on, the, the 10th man to walk on the moon. And I told people that, you know, between he and I, we have we spent three days on the moon. And it's technically That's it's true. Cool. Yeah, we've yeah. A, we've both averaged a day and a half on the moon. But <laughs> not that, you know, I, I shoot a gun and it's, uh, you know, I shoot at blank targets. But with your book, I loved it. And I loved it because the entire thing was you really you could tell that you went in and you tried to retell the story exactly as how you saw it in with all the primarily you know it's like you ever seen a music video where you know they do a really good job at making it look like making even if you watch it sober you feel drunk you know they've got the light <laughs> the, the light sway the girls right, and it's right, and you're right, like right, oh right. you get the yeah. vibe yeah what i got listening to your book was i got the vibe of like this is what the adrenaline dump must be Right. This is what yeah. your body is just it's taking things a millisecond at a time because I was listening and I was like, I was like, man, I've been listening for like three hours. And I was like, I'm still within this like five minute gap the the whole time just explaining that. And I was like, holy shit. So like that. I know I said I wasn't going to. I have to use the bathroom so bad. And before we dive into before we dive into the shootout, okay, go I got to use the bathroom. Run. Mr. Go. Morales, you got you got the floor is yours. Tell them where to buy your book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the book is available on Amazon. <clears throat> that was me sipping my tea. <laughs>
And we're back. <laughs> Sorry about that. I did warn you. I gave you a fair warning. No, that's okay. I uh, I told some risque jokes. You know, yeah. you may have to edit those out. I will edit out nothing. I will be personally <laughs> insulted if you didn't tell risque jokes. If, I mean, on the topic of socialism, if anyone self-censors themselves on here, I take it as a slap in the face. I want people to come on just swearing their minds out, telling stories about dicks and titties and fuck that and F this, because... The second you start banning that, it's just a slippery slope to wrong thinking. But you and I have already gone on our anti-communist tirade, so I'll try to steer it back towards the book. Okay. Can you give the listeners just a very brief summary of what it is that happened, and then we can dive into it? Okay. Uh, real briefly, yes. Um, I was assigned to the uh, bankruptcy squad Um in Miami, Florida. Uh, I arrived, uh, I transferred in, uh, in April of 1985. And, um, I, I got lucky enough to get assigned to the bank robbery squad. Cause, uh, if you know anything about cop work or especially like more narrow in the FBI, the bank robbery squads, the criminal squads are, are, are the squads to be on, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of other important squads that, never get any publicity the counterintelligence squads uh the the counterterrorism squads you know they they do they do they do probably more important work for national security than, than a criminal squad but the criminal squad you know those are the guys that make the press you know the the, the bank robbery you know the kidnap investigations you know the fugitive hunters that, that type of stuff you know but anyway um I was assigned uh, to that squad in April 1985, you know, and um, as, as I got to learn the, the squad and, and the work in Miami, I found that there, um, there was a bank robbery on average in Miami, Florida, like once a day. You know, sometimes, you know, there were two and three bank robbers a day, which, which, which is really kind of tame because you go to places like New York or Los Angeles, they, they could have 10 bank robbers a day, really? you know. Yeah, because, you know, the Los Angeles, Los Angeles is, is twice as large as Miami, you know, and then, and then you've got all these um, uh, strip mall banks, you know, the little, um, you know, yeah. I don't know what you call them, island cash, banks. Cash you know, now, yeah. yeah. You know, so, um, but Miami, you know, I mean, it, it was popping, it was popping. So what I ended up uh, observing is uh, we had a, a group of three bank, uh, three gangs, gangs of uh, robbers. And uh, we had one gang we simply called the Hispanic gang. Mm -hmm. uh, guess why? Uh, because they were they were Hispanics. Wow. <laughs> you know? And then we had another gang called the Black Gang. And, oh. you know, again, guess why? why is that? They were Blacks, yeah. well, you know, involved in the, in the robberies. Okay, but then the third gang came up, and that was the Platinmatics gang. And that was the enigma. We didn't know who they were, and we didn't know what they were, yeah. uh, because they were so they were so stealth. I guess I, I, well, not stealth. I mean, because they left you know shot up places and dead bodies in their wake. But um, they were very careful to conceal their identity: ski masks, gloves, military clothing, and so on and so forth. The witnesses could never tell us, uh, you know, ma'am, were they black or white? or Hispanic. I, I don't know. Yeah. All I saw was a big gun pointing at my face. What 
well, yeah, you know, that kind of distracts people. You know, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. You know, but uh, <laughs> it really ruin your day. It always ruins, it really, it, ruins it my ruin. day. I go to it the really gym. Does. Yeah, I try to talk to a girl, see a friend, and then there's a Glock in my face, and I'm like, you just, you just ruined my whole workout. I got to do a podcast later, and now I'm going to be all flustered. Uh, you know, but pe- people are people are normal. I guess they, yeah. they don't like they get have weapons or firearms pointed at their yeah. face. But anyway, so so you know, I I helped uh, with the Hispanic gang and, and the black gang, and then as things turned out, that was like midsummer '85, uh, late summer, early fall '85. The the this, the new gang started getting more and more violent. They had uh, they developed a propensity to shoot indiscriminately uh from the get-go uh they would we didn't know whether they were amateurs or whether they were just really lethal cold-blooded individuals you know and and i think in the beginning they were amateurish but then as they got better and better at it they they were very thorough and very uh, very cold-blooded you know so but to make a long story short you know we uh started developing um what very few leads we had on, on on these two these two individuals again in in the in late late fall uh winter of two, uh, 1985 we had no idea who these guys were we didn't uh we got a, a big break uh in that early 1986 when um after one of the robberies they dumped their their getaway car and we, we tied uh, the getaway car to a missing kid mm-hmm. in Miami. So mm-hmm. I went to, to interview the parents. Uh, his name was uh, Emilio Briel. And that was a sad situation yeah. because when I showed up at the house, you know, um, the mom, you know, saw the cops and, and you know, me, you know, and stuff. And she said, she, she asked me, um, are you here about my son? Are you here about my son? And I'm thinking, Wow, maybe she knows. Maybe she, maybe she yeah. knows her son's involved in the robberies, you yeah. know. So, and I said, "Well, ma'am, I, I really don't know if we hear about your son, but we hear about your car." So, and and then you know, as the story developed, you know, I I found out that the, their son had gone missing, you know, in, in the previous uh, previous or yeah. late summer. And uh, as, as it turns out, they found his um, his remains, you know, in the Everglades. But um, the big break uh, came in in March of 1986 when. Uh, another unfortunate soul, uh, Jose Calazo, was out target practicing yep. in the Everglades in the same spot Emilio Braille had disappeared in, you know. And he just happened to run into two white guys, um, uh, tall, about six feet tall, six one, uh, white, slender, well built, and heavily armed. And they um, they uh, robbed him and, and uh, they ended up shooting him, leaving him for dead. Uh, they took his car, his mm-hmm. guns, his wallet and everything else, you know. But miraculously, he survived. Yeah. Incredible, incredible luck, you know. Uh, you know, I, when, when I do my training lectures, I tell people, I say, hey, do you believe in luck? And um, people say, well, what do you mean luck, you know? I said, well, yeah, do you believe in luck? I said, well, you know, what do you mean? You know, it's like, I don't believe in those superstitious bullshit luck. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can I say bullshit? Or you can, can say I, whatever you would like. No, Fucking no. Can bullshit. I say, well, can, can I say superstitious? Super, superstitious <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> we, we draw the line in superstitious. Yeah, right? Draw the line superstitious. No, you, can, you can say whatever you want. You can say no, anyway, whatever so, you so, want. So, you know, I, I tease people. I say, hey, you know, is that, you know I, I get them to commit and say, hey, well, you know what? You don't believe in luck. I say, you know what? And, and that's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't criticize people sure. for not believing in luck. You know, 
um, you certainly can't or should not plan your life on luck. No. And you shouldn't plan your survival on luck. You know, you shouldn't, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go see my my aunt in, uh, in, in Miami, Florida, and I hope luck gets me down there, you know, on the interstate. No, I mean, you, you have to have some, some yeah. planning and experience and, yeah. and, and forthought and so on and so yeah. forth. But see, here's the kicker. I always ask these, these naysayers, okay, you don't believe in luck or, you know, you think it's, you know, superstitious mumbo jumbo. I said, well, let me ask you this. If you have a choice between being lucky or unlucky, which would you rather be? Yeah. Uh, and and that they pause and they go, they don't answer. Yeah. I said, well, yeah, I think I know the answer. There you go. You would, yeah. you would, you would rather be lucky Absolutely. than unlucky. Absolutely. You know, so, so I guess you do believe in luck, you yeah. know. Yeah. But anyway, my whole point in this is that in the Bible, uh, Ecclesiastes 9-11 it, it reads, uh, in, you know, the race is not always to, to, to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor uh, nor uh, uh, riches to men men of uh, knowledge and, and so on and so forth. I forget the exact uh, saying now. But it, it says, but time and chance happen to them all. In other words, that, that that's the Bible's way. That's the Bible's way of saying, hey, you got to have a little luck. You got to have a little. You know. Because time and chance can happen to, to everybody, yeah. okay? Yeah. Men, of, men of skill, men of, men of uh, strong men, fast men, and so on. And as it turned out, Jose Calazo, you know, had, had a, a, little uh, a little luck, a little time and chance. Because yeah. he was shot Hit him right. in the hand, in the shoulder, and then through, yeah. the, through the face, yeah. oh, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, right on the right side of his nose, mm-hmm. okay? With a, with a, a, a thirty-eight, I mean... Most, I mean, I mean, nine hundred ninety-nine times out of a thousand, you're you're dead. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you're a dead person at that point, but he survived amazingly. Anyway, I digress. Um, But he survived, and he had the will to survive. He 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 drug himself and and crawled and did whatever he had to do. He he went almost a full mile to a highway to to flag down a car, and and he survived. um, You know, amazingly survived. And he became our first witness. Uh, he's the one that described two white men, about six one, six six one, six feet tall. They're about two hundred pounds, you know, mustaches, fit, you know, so on and so forth. And of, of course, we ha- we had his car, his his vehicle. And um, lo and behold, a week later, there's a robbery in South Miami, and it just so happened, time and chance. A U.S. customs official was going to the bank to cash a check. By the way, checks were back in the old days. Checks were these paper things that people had. You know, they used to sign, and you used to have to take them into a bank, and the, you'd give it to the bank, Nonsense. and the bank would give you cash. I don't believe you. Know, you. It, 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 that's superstitious mumbo jumbo. It, it is. <laughs> that's all a legend. That's all a legend. I don't believe a word you're saying. That's not true. There's never been anything other than checks on my phone. This podcast is over. Screw this. Anyway, it just so happens that this customs officer was was going in, and you know what? He said he was just about to get out of his car. He's parked in front of the bank, yeah. and he said he sees two, two males, two men, running out of the bank wearing ski masks and gloves and carrying long-barrel weapons. 
he said, well, you know what, maybe I'll wait just to cash my check, you know. So he just hunkered down and he watched them get into a black car. And it just so happened when they backed out of their parking space, the tag was right directly to the uh, customs officer's face. So being a law enforcement officer, he noted the tag, he wrote the tag down, and he confirmed that the tag on that black car was the same tag that belonged to uh, Jose Calazo. So we had a, a direct link mm-hmm. there. So that, that set up a um, uh, surveillance. That was in, in uh, March, uh, March, the, I think it was the, the mid-March. So we knew we had the robbers in South in South uh, Miami. I mean, we knew that before, but we, now we had a car. And uh, based on Calazo's uh, description, we knew we had a white pickup truck. So we st- we kind of flooded the, the zone, you know, with uh, with extra patrols down there. It's just literally, you know, FBI just don't run patrols, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Police run patrols, you know. But we we put the word out. You know, agents were down there looking for white pickup trucks and black Monte Carlos. And um, as luck would have it, uh, one one day uh, somebody uh, picked up a tag on, on a white pickup truck. And unfortunately, it, the results weren't uh, received a, at the FBI office. As a matter of fact, they were sent to Ben Grogan, one of the agents who ended up dying. Uh, they, they were, uh, the results were on his desk uh, on uh, the following morning after um, after the shootout, you know, and and the, the owner of that vehicle was um, uh, William uh, Maddox, mm-hmm. you know, the the owner of the, um, uh, of the of the pickup truck, you know. But again, you know, that's just bad luck there. Yeah. But anyway, so we started um, kind of tightening the noose. Um, on the uh, on the surveillance and, and the investigation, and then one day uh, Gordon McNeil and it was was at uh, firearms training with uh, Ben Grogan, uh, April tenth to be exact, and he and Ben were kicking it around. And you know what? This is this goes to show you about intuitive policing. You know, I mean, it's like hey. Uh, I mean, you have to have an educated guess. I mean, I guess that's an intuition, you know, but it, it also helps to have, you know, a, a training and experience and, and, and you know, kind of like putting two and two together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Gordon said, hey, you know what, Ben, the last time they hit was three weeks. The last time they hit, they only got uh, about $8,000. And he said, that's low for, for their normal score, you know, because before they were getting forty and $50,000 at a pop, you know. So he said, hey, you know what, Ben? He says, I think these guys are due. You know, uh, three weeks, 8000 you know, I mean, you know, I mean, times are hard. You know, it's hard to make $8,000 go, you know, the way it used to. You know, yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you so need they, to be more frugal. You yeah, know, so. yeah. So uh, Ben said, told Gordon, said, if Gordon, you know, hey, I'll take any help you can get. He says, I good because i think we need to run a surveillance tomorrow uh like from nine nine to one he said because uh statistically speaking uh these guys hit on fridays about 50 percent of the time yep. the other 50 percent of, t- of the time they hit um you know monday tuesday wednesday and thursday but fridays was was a, a definitely a, a good possibility so that is how the surveillance started i mean it, you know we, you know, we, we received a lot of criticism. So if you guys had a tip, you should have planned better. Or if you guys knew that they were going to be there, you should have called the SWAT team. No, we didn't. It yeah. was totally a hunch. Yeah. You know, and it was, a, again, intuitive policing, you know, that Gordon uh, uh, ended up executing in this home. Anyway, we set up a surveillance uh, 
we got 14 agents uh, that were available. I mean, you can't force people to go out and manage because, you know, what if you have a court date, yeah. you know, a hearing? What if you have a deposition or what if you're on vacation? What if you had sick call? You know, um, you know, it, it, police get sick too, you know, so, you know, Nonsense. that type of stuff, you know, so, so, you know, it's, hey, you kind of throw it out there and see, see, see how many people can, can, can join, you know, so, and that particular morning it was 14 agents. So we met down at the Home Depot on US one, uh, which was right in the, in the downtown area where all these robberies happened. And um, we broke up into four teams in four, four different locations. And every one of the locations had been robbed in, in, the, in the past. So that's why, you know, we figured, hey, you know what? Um, one location, 136th Street in uh, US-1 had been robbed twice because there, there were two banks at that location. So each bank had been robbed at least once, you know. So, you know, we said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll sit up there. And as luck would have it, uh, time and chance, you know, at about 9.25, 9.30, um, this is speculation on my part because all the witnesses are dead. Uh, ben Grogan, uh, FBI agent Ben Grogan, FBI agent uh, Jerry Dove, and yeah. uh, the two bank robbers, Platt and Maddox, are, are all dead. Yeah. So all the witnesses are dead. Yeah. Okay, but my speculation is that sometime during the course of, of that morning, a very short course, at about nine twenty-five, nine thirty. The black Monte Carlo drove into the parking lot of, of the um, 136th Street and US-1 location, okay? Because that's where Ben Grogan and Jerry Dubb were, were, were stationed for the surveillance. They must have, the black Monte Carlo must have driven into the parking lot. Ben and Jerry saw a black car occupied by at least one male, and possibly two, uh, because of the, the car had tinted windows. So, and I, and I know this is what happened, you know, I mean, parking lots being what they are, you know, you've got, you know, cars and then you got another car driving by, you can't see the tag, you know, so they saw the car and probably went in, made a U-turn. So they decided to follow that car to see if they could, you know, get a, get a look at the tag. Yeah. And they went from 136th street to 128th street before they made an announcement on, over the radio. And at that point in time, you know, they said attention all units were behind a black vehicle, two door Florida, Florida tag NTJ 891. And it was the exact same car that Jose Calazo had had, had stolen, you know, some. And man, you know what? I was shocked. I, I have to be very candid with you. I, I could not believe that um, these two individuals would wouldn't even change the tag on the car because that car, based on on Calazo's, um, you know, get, a robbery, you know, and shot and left for dead and robbery, it, that car and the tag and the description was had been in the news. It was yeah. in the print news and it was in the on, on uh, TV news. You know, so it's like they didn't even change the tag. You know, I was just amazed. So we played catch up. My location was at 128th and they had just passed our location when they announced, you know, so what, what followed was a, um, a four minute surveillance. Because, um, you know, based on radio recordings from, from the start until felony car stop, when it stopped, it's four minutes. So I, I asked uh, officers, I said, hey, man, can you plan a, a, a car stop in four minutes? You know, I, yeah, yeah, you could, you know, but, you know, 
most of the time, you know, car stops are compliant. You know, so yeah. a, a marked unit, you know, it turns on the siren, you know, like you and me, we're driving, you know, driving home after the bar and we're going, oh my God, I've had one drink too many, you yeah. know, so yeah. we comply, you know, but uh, a lot of people don't, you know, and then that turns into a non-compliant stop, you know, and, and non-compliant stops can, I mean, all bets are off. I mean, I cannot tell you where the car is going to eventually end up stopping. I mean, you, you've seen all the videos on TV, you know, yeah. California drivers, yeah. they'll drive a hundred miles, you know, high speed neighborhoods and so on and so forth. So this didn't quite turn out to be a California, you know, uh, car car chase. Thank God for that. That's what I was worried about. I was worried that if they got back on US one, because uh, they went they went from US one into the side streets, which is great. Okay, because I mean, th- there's a lot of you know a lot of narrow streets and so on, and um, they ended up making like a like a they went they went around in a circle going back to US one, and I was afraid they were going to go back to US one, and then we would have a, a you know bumper car race, you know so. But miraculously, they, they didn't go to U.S. 1. They went south on 82nd Avenue. And at that point, Ben Grogan called, uh, to, you know, all units, felony cars on. So then, you know, we knew that it was going to be a, a hot stop. You know, um, everybody was, was ready. Everybody had their guns, you know, prepared and so on and so forth. And as, as luck would have it, it, it turned into a non-compliant stop because they did not stop. You know, as soon as they heard the siren and they saw the flashing light behind them, they started speeding up. And um, that ended up being, you know, we played bumper cars for about, oh, I don't know, 10 seconds at the most. It was two blocks. It was a distance of about 150, 100, 200 yards maximum. And we were, <laughs> I tell people, I said, hey, we were as determined to stop them as they were determined to escape. You know, it's a immovable object I mean, meets, uh, force. meets yeah. irresistible yeah. force, you know, it's, it's like, it's, yeah. and uh, we ended up uh, pinning them, you know, into a, into a dry, uh, driveway, you yeah. know, and then again, being the good guys, you know, we... Um, uh, I remember Gordon McNeil, you know, I, I had crashed up against the wall and I was kind of out of it for a few seconds. Uh, I w- wasn't focused on the, on the actual car stop because I was, I was focused on a, on a brick wall. I mean, a cement wall that we crashed up against, yeah. you know, so, uh, I was uh, slightly distracted, you know, by trying not to get my head smashed into a windshield, you know, yeah. so, <laughs> yeah, little thing. but, uh, but w- when they finally stopped, you know, we, we gave them the option, you know, uh, Gordon and Ben Grogan yelled out. FBI, police, put your hands up, put your hands up. And their response was gunfire. Okay, so it was on at that point, you know. I mean, it was like, and um, it was a jumble of cars. I mean, it was was really, I I was across the street. I was about 50 yards away. And um, when I finally got out of the car and I started running across the street to to assist, I I truly did not know where the subjects were because it was like a, whole bunch mm-hmm. of cars that had seemed to have piled up in one, at one point, you know, and I was trying to, as I'm running, I'm trying to figure out where's the threat, where's the threat. And I, I'm looking at Ben Grogan and Jerry Dove aiming slightly to the north, and I'm looking at Gordon McNeil, who's on the left side of the scene, aiming slightly to the east. So I figured, okay, one's pointing north, one's pointing east. So at wherever those two lines intersect, that's probably where the bad guys are. Yeah. So I had a general idea in this big pile of cars where the subjects might be. So I figured, okay. And as I'm 
running across the street, I was going to, to reinforce Ben Grogan and Jerry Dub uh, because that was the closest point of cover. It wasn't anything, you know, heroic. It was more like a chicken call. Yeah. You know, where's the nearest point of cover, man? Yeah, I got to yeah, get yeah, to yeah. it. You know? but, but as I'm running, uh, I see uh, John Hanlon, my partner. He was running next to me. We were about six feet apart. He's running to, to uh, Ben Grogan and Jerry Dove's position. And, and I, I again, I'm scanning left and right. And I said, okay, if I go with Ben and Jerry, that'll be four ages there. And Gordon McNeil is off to the to the left of the scene by himself. That's the weak, that's the weak point in the line. So halfway across the, uh, the street, I peered to the left and I went in around and around uh, McNeil's car. And um, I went around to... Gordon McNeil's left side to reinforce him. And I had a shotgun in my hand uh, when, when I was doing that, you know, and by that time it was, it was full on. I mean, it was like, I mean, bullets for gunfire was going like, like a, a, a firing range, you know, it's like a, shots were being fired every, I mean, several shots per second, yeah. you know, yeah. good guys, bad guys, everybody was shooting, you know. And again, I had no real clear view of where the, the subjects were. And I know it sounds like a mamby-pamby excuse, you know, but, yeah, yeah, no, you know, no, but because you know what, though, I'm running from the sun, from sunlight into a shade, uh-huh. into a covered shady area. Yeah. Okay. And amazingly, you know, for pop, Smokeless powder, it does create smoke. (laughs) So smoke was kind of like up in the air. There was so many rounds fired that smoke was up in the air and it was underneath it. It was being, uh, I guess, prevented from dissipating by the the trees over the scene. And then at the same time, when the cars came to a screeching halt, uh, there's like a dirt area between the sidewalk and the street, you know, and the dirt. And it was was just bizarre. I was like thinking, where the heck did all this dirt and gun smoke come from? And that was from the actual, you know, crashing and and, and the the spinning of wheels and stuff, you know. So I, I said, this is weird, you know. I mean, it's like... We're in a beautiful sunny day in, in yeah. South Florida, you know, and then there's smoke in the air and there's dust in the air. And I'm thinking, and I'm looking at the shade, you know, and I'm thinking, where the hell are these guys? And as I ran around the corner of the car, I almost got to, to the left of Gordon McNeil. And when I took, um, it's hard to describe, you know, I, I, I thought I slipped or hit something because I was running forward one second. I was looking directly at the spot next to Gordon McNeil that I was uh, going towards. And the next, I mean, there's like a, like snapping your fingers, like, yeah. like that. I'm looking up at the sky, at the yeah. blue sky, and I'm thinking, what yeah. the hell happened? Why am, yeah, why am I here now? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, and I, I have to say, at that point in time, I noticed that there was a change in my, my physique or, or my physical sensibilities i mean i don't know how to describe it you could almost say like your 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 balance like your your layout right you could i know what you're getting to yeah it it was there was no pain and i mean i i I was i did start experiencing you know the the the, some some uh, fight or flight you know i mean my, my my heart rate was up my my vision was keen you know and my you know my blood pressure was up I had I started losing a little bit of my hearing because I, um, I could clearly hear gunshots, but they mm-hmm. weren't as loud as they should have been. Mm-hmm. So my hearing was already kind of diminishing. But I could tell clearly, you know, the difference between a thirty-eight, a nine millimeter, and then whatever the subjects were firing. You know, I, I could 
distinctly tell you who was shooting what. The, the, the pistols were being fired by the SWAT agents, Ben Brogan and Jerry Dub. Gordon McNeil was firing the, the, the revolver. And then the bad guys were firing their cannon, you know, because uh, it sounded like a cannon to me. But um, again, you know, I, I, I was like stunned when I, I'm on my back and I think, and I, and I was also angry. I said, you are stupid. You are, and, and, and I didn't put it in the book, but I, I actually taught, said to myself, you're a stupid son of a bitch. I said, how can you, I thought I ran into the back of Gordon McDonald's yeah. car. Okay. And I'm thinking, I, I said, I should have, I shouldn't have cut it so close. I should have cut it a foot wider. Okay. Uh, but it didn't add up, you know. I mean, when you know, when I look at it with twenty twenty hindsight, I mean, it, it doesn't add up because if I'd have hit Gordon McNeil's car, I would have been about fifteen feet behind Gordon McNeil instead of right next to him, yeah. you know. So, I mean, my mind was trying to fill in the, you know, fill in a gap, fill, you know, figure out the puzzle, you know. And I said, you bumped into, you ran into the back of Gordon McNeil's car. I said, you're you're letting Gordon McNeil, uh, you know, stand up there by himself, you know, getting shot at firing, and you are so stupid that you ran into the, the back of his car. Get up and help him, okay? And I'm pushing with my left arm. I've got the shotgun in my right arm, and I'm pushing with my left arm like this to, to push myself up. And that's what's so weird because, I mean, in our youth, you know, you could set up easy, you know, I mean, when, when we were young and, and as, as felt, you know, I could set up and from, you know, laying down sideways, whatever, I mean, upside down, whatever, I could sit up and, and get up, you know, without even using my hands, yeah. you know, but here I was, not, and I was trying to use my arm to, 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 to push myself up because I, something, it was, it was just weird. Something was off with me physically. Okay. And... <laughs> Uh, I, I have to laugh, you know, um, there was this horrendous ringing in my ears, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it just like came on all of a sudden, you know, and um, I mean, it was like loud, it sounded like loud ringing, you know, like, uh, what do they call it, tinnitus? Yeah, tinnitus, yeah. Something, you know, it was like that, but it was like a siren going off in my ears, like, you know, and I found out later that I had my bell rung, you know, and we'll get to that in a minute, you know, but um I just physically, I mean, I, mentally, I was aware. I mean, I, was, I, was, I think I was still aware, or fairly aware, but physically, I was like, something was off, you know, and I really couldn't tell, you know, it's like my ears were ringing, you know, and, and everything started, felt like I was like in slow motion, like everything was, I, I hate to use the word, you know, but I, I use it anyway. I, I felt everything, I felt like everything was more retarded, more uh, mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. like, you know, like slow you know, moving through uh, mud or molasses, yeah. right? Yeah, moving through like through molasses and stuff like that, you know, so, but I, again, I couldn't put two and two together. And, and the, the, the situation kept going on, you know, Gordon fired his shots. He was wounded at that point. He wounded the subjects. Ben Gorgon, Jerry Dove, and John Hamlin were firing from the rear uh, uh, of the of the getaway of the bad guy, of the robbery car, the stolen car. So gunfire was still going on, and then Gordon McNeil was shot. He came back up with his revolver, fired two more shots, ran out of ammo, and then retreated to the back of his car to reload because he had been shot in the right hand of the gun hand. So he he felt he needed to get um, a little bit more cover between him and the subject, so that he he knew he was going to have a hard time reloading. You know, with one hand, you know, because his his, uh, his strong hand had um, his right hand had been severely damaged. So I'm sitting there, 
trying to figure out what's going on, you know, and, I'm, and I finally I got mad at myself, you know, because I mean, I'm looking for a threat. I'm still focusing on the threat. I had, I had no idea what, what was going on. Physically, I had no idea what's going on. You know, tactically, I knew there was still bad guys out there. I was looking left and right, scanning and this and that. So I had to force myself to stop scanning and look at my left side to figure out what, why the hell isn't it yeah. working? You know? yeah. So so when I looked down at my left side, I mean, it was a shock of shocks. You know, it's like, what in the world? I couldn't believe it uh, when I saw I, honestly, I didn't know. If, I, did, I didn't know if it was attached to me, but it looked like a like roadkill. It looked like a like a rabbit it had been crushed by a semi and it just exploded out. You know, I said, "What the hell is that?" I said, "That can't be my arm. There's no way." You know, but I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm I'm laying next to it. I mean, it's, it's got to be something. There, you know? So, so I had to force myself to lay the shotgun across my chest, muzzle pointing you know, at my feet, you know, at a 45 degree angle, took my right hand and I reached over and I, I picked up, I eventually identified a hand attached to something there, but it was, it was incredible because the hand had been swollen like to twice its size. The fingers were like huge sausage fingers. I mean, they were just swollen, like just full of blood and stuff, you know, and I'm thinking this, this is weird. It looked like a, gigantic hand like a giant's hand you know it was all puffed up i said that can't be my hand you know so i actually reached up and i grabbed the hand and i pulled it up in front of my face like this and i'm thinking oh my god it's attached to me oh, who says this get it off me <laughs> really yeah. you know i said oh my god it's attached to me it's my arm you know i said holy shit i said i've been shot you know that was the first time it was like a minute after I was shot, that I realized I'd been shot. And I'm shaking my hand like this, just to be sure, you know, it's still attached by on, on this side, by by shreds of uh, flesh. The bones are just, I mean, toast. I yeah. mean, there was nothing. There was there was only the flesh on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, on the, on the side of the, of, the, of the arm that was connecting my arm. And I shook it like this and everything was just flapping around. I said, oh, and you know what I did? It was, kind of funny now but i went i went, I went like this i went I, I threw the arm back down on the ground it fell on the ground yeah and i said okay deal with that later. I, I actually thought this it, it, they call this intrusive thoughts um i actually thought this i said hey they're gonna have to amputate your arm grab the shotgun start focusing yeah you know stuck it underneath my armpit like this and i had yeah. it at a 45 degree angle like this and i kept on scanning yeah. for, deal for with it later because the Shooting is still going on. I said, yeah. "Hey, I'm alive. I'm I'm cognizant of yeah. the fact that I'm injured, and there are still people out there trying to kill me. Yeah. So yeah. the important part is not to be killed. Throw it away. Made <laughs> exactly. a note. I'll deal with that yeah. later. I'll call my physician. I'll make yeah, an appointment. You know, but I'll, I'll call somebody later. Yes, you know, so. I'll make a note. Uh, but, uh, have my wife you know, make I, a note. I, I, I continue to scan. Continue to scan. You know, and. Um, it seems like 30 seconds. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm all yeah. choked up from emotions. <laughs> no, actually, let me take a, let me take a sip of my drink. <laughs> me and Miss Morales drinking, drinking Everclear. Okay. Uh, it seems like 30 seconds 
or, or longer, but in reality, it probably was less. Okay. I'm, as I'm scanning left and right, I see some movement. Every time I scan to the right, I, see, I saw a movement to the left, mm-hmm. and, and I would come back, and I'm looking for it, you know, and then I said, well, and this happened about two or three times. And finally, you know, I said, God damn it, what the hell? Yeah. What the hell's going on here? I said, I'm already having a bad day, you know. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to stop scanning, yeah. and I'm going to look forward, hold my head perfectly still. Yeah. But I'm gonna move, uh, you know, move, only move my eyes to the left to see what I see what I can see. And when I did that, I noticed what it was. I saw something spraying from. It appeared to be coming from my head, and I couldn't tell. It was just like you know. And I think what, you know. And I said, "Holy shit!" It was red, and and when I stopped. To, to look at it and I'm, I, I didn't move and I'm, I'm looking up like this to, to the left side and I, I saw it was blood I, yeah. I figured out it was arterial Actually, bleeding yeah. every time my heart beat you know I, this thing would just and that's what the motion was you know and I'm thinking oh I said Jesus Christ I'm having a bad day I said I'm shot in the head so again I laid the shotgun across my chest and I took my good hand and I, I put my four fingers like this and I, I actually went up to my left side of my head, expecting to feel mush up there. And I went like this. I stuck my fingers in there, expecting to feel mush on the side of my head. And all I could feel was my skull. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, you know. And I put my hand up there. It was blood. And, you know, as as luck would have it, you know, when I'm doing this, checking my wound, I, I had flipped or knocked a, a the flap of skin that was, uh, you know, over the wound, I flapped it over the uh, artery and that uh, prevented it from, from, from spraying blood. You know, it kind of, it didn't stop the bleeding, but yeah. it, it kind of slowed it down. So it, inadvertently, I, I, I was like doing this and, and it, it kind of stopped the bleeding. And I said, okay, fine. Dr. Morales. Said, my, my hair, my, my head's intact. Yeah. I said, so it couldn't have penetrated yeah. too deep, you know. So grabbed the shotgun and continued to, to scan. That this event went on so long that um, uh, I could, I actually could, I could tell that the gunfire that I was hearing was like distant, but I could tell from what direction it was coming. It initially, it was coming from directly in front of me, and then it moved off to my right, and then it moved farther to the right, and then it moved farther to the right. So I'm thinking, okay, whatever's happening is starting to circle around in that direction. So I said, I, I can't see crap here. Yeah. So I started moving myself, you know, I used my heels and my shoulder blades to crawl from the position that I had fallen in to crawl my way around the back of Gordon McNeil's car to see what was going on on the other side, you know, cause obviously, uh, I don't think I was in any condition to stand up, you know, and, and I wouldn't want to stand up either because there's still a lot of gunfire. Oh, going on, you know? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, that college training paid off. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Look, Mom, I didn't stand up in the bullets. Yeah. <laughs> so when I went around the back of the car, that was a shock, you know, because that's, I mean, that's when I saw Gordon McNeil on the street. He was down. And then I, when I went around the car, I could see um, what, I, what I, I ended up being Jerry Dove. And Ben Grogan and I could see a third body on, on the other on the other side of the car, which I assumed to be John Hamlin. So when I saw that, I saw a pair of legs that was running 
you know, around the bodies. And I'm thinking, well, okay, I, I have Gordon McNeil, I have Ben Grogan, Jerry Dove, and John Hanlon. I said, that doesn't leave too many other guys. You know, I said, so that person running around the scene has got to be a bad guy. Can't you know, be so our friend, I, I, yeah. On my side, on my back, with one hand, I, I aimed the shotgun at the feet. I could only see from the knees down from underneath the car, and I'm thinking, okay, shoot, shoot this bastard. And uh, I went into a, a, you know, one of those situations, shoot, don't shoot, shoot, don't shoot. You know, and, and part of me said, hey, don't shoot, because if you miss, you, you know, your pellets will end up hitting Ben Grogan, Jerry Dever, or maybe John Hammond, or all three. The other part of me says, shoot the bastard. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. And you know what, though, uh, under stress and, and, and things like that, um, the um, to this day, I don't remember making that shot. You know, all these years later, I mean, and, you know, the crime scene shows that I fired five shotgun rounds, but I only remember firing four. Okay, so that's called traumatic amnesia. You know, you're in a traumatic situation. You know, you do something that you may or may not remember, you know, so. But that, that was a that was a shot that I didn't make, even though I made it, you know, so. Uh, and I said, well, I didn't shoot the guy. So I kept crawling, kept crawling around. To, to eventually, to a point where eventually I was all the way around uh, McNeil's car. And I put my back up against the bumper and I peeked around to the left like this to look to see what was going on at Ben Grogan's car. And you know what? Uh, time time distortion. Um, I thought it took me like two seconds, you know, 10 seconds at the most to crawl on my back, scoot up, sit up and put my back up against the bumper of the car with my shotgun in my right hand and turn around and kind of like do this. But in that two or three seconds that my perception said it took me, the two bad guys had, had somehow miraculously gotten in, inside the car. So that made me think, okay, it wasn't two seconds. It was probably more like 20 seconds that it took me to maneuver. You know, I mean, that's just, you know, time and yeah. distance, you know, distortion, you know, so... And when I saw the subjects in the car, they were, uh, the driver was kind of leaning over the steering column like this. And they, they were, he was obviously looking at the steering column and the passenger was leaning towards the steering column in this fashion, looking at the steering column. So it became immediately obvious to me that they, they were either trying to insert the start key, the start the car or do something else, okay? Uh, and I'm thinking these bastards are trying to get, get escape, and they, they're the only avenue of escape is to back the car up. And if they back the car up, they would run over at least two FBI agents, maybe three. Okay. Now I learned after the fact that both of these individuals um, that were right-handed, okay, and both of their right arms had been shattered, destroyed. Okay, that's probably why they were like looking over the steering column and trying to figure out, hey, how do I how do I manipulate the key or how do I manipulate the uh, you know this the the you know the, the shifter and and same thing with the passenger. Okay, his right arm was toast, and he had been shot in the uh, in the head. You know, he was probably probably uh, more seriously injured than, than his partner. But my immediate thought was to to prevent them from, from uh, moving the car, you know, because like I said, if they move the car, if they back the car up, you know, they would, um, 
they would run over, over uh, at least two ages, maybe three. So then I figured, okay, I've got the heavy weapon. I've got the shotgun. Okay. I'm thinking, okay, I want to use the shotgun. I want to put as many rounds of, of shotgun uh, ammo into that the compartment of that car. But how am I going to fire the shotgun with only one hand? I mean, it's like, I mean, I could do it, you know, but it would be totally inaccurate shots, you know. So I said, okay. So as as I'm leaning over to to my left, you know, I said, oh, you know what? I saw the 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 lip of the bumper. I'm thinking, hey, you know what? That'll be a perfect little perch, you know, to put yeah. the shotgun, the far end of the shotgun on there. Yeah. So, and you know, uh, firearms instructors tell you, hey, you, when you shoot, if you see my hands, okay, like this. When you shoot, you bring the weapon up to eye level. You don't. You don't bring your head down to the weapon okay. okay so that's a pretty hard lesson you know it's, it's a hard it's, it's a it's a steadfast lesson you know but in my case the bumper was below my head okay in other words uh, my head's up here the bumper was was down here so i had to put the shotgun on the bumper i i had to move my head down yeah totally contrary to training I had to move my head down to, to the sights instead of bringing the weapon up. So it worked. <laughs> we'll, we'll make an exception. For, for little that. improv, yeah. Except <laughs> when you're in a shootout in Miami. That's the asterisk. <laughs> so um, what ended up happening was I, I, I used it to good effect. You know, um, I, it was perfect. You know, I, I didn't have to worry about, you know, balancing the weapon with one hand. I had the, the front bumper, I mean, the bumper there. And I had the, the shotgun up like this, you know, and um, uh, I, I found the sights, found this target, and I squeezed the first round, you know. And I was so pissed at myself because I ended up missing. I mean, I could see the hit, you know. And when the, the weapon recoiled like this, it, it was perfectly natural, you know. I just kept kept recoiling back to the weapon, and, and I, I sat right back in a, in a sitting position yeah. with my back up against the bumper of the car, had the shotgun by the pistol grip up here. So I said, you know what? Just let it slide, you know. Let it slide. Hit hit the uh, the the buttstock. Hit the um, the ground. I grabbed the uh, pit, pinched my legs together, my thighs together, secured the weapon, reached up, grabbed the forehand, racked it, went back down to the pistol grip, picked it up, turned turned back around, and uh, I fired four rounds in, in that fashion, you know. And I thought that uh, the second round that I fired at the car had just totally plastered the driver. Okay, um, it was perfectly into the wind, yeah. into the side door windshield of the car, and I, he, it was a beautiful thing. You know, he was sitting like this, look, you know, pushing around with the steering column, and then next thing you see is him do this. Yeah, like yeah. arms flying up. You know, it's like like slow motion. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. doing the wave. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't mind saying it was a beautiful thing. Hell you know, yeah, so. no, absolutely. You're like, you're like, all right, I just blew his head off. You're like, all right. <laughs> And you know what? In my mind, he was totally and completely yeah. dead. You know, yeah. so I was like, "Wow!" You know, now I have to worry about the passenger. Yeah. So um, I focused the next, my last two shots at the passenger, and he, when he saw his partner kind of fly into his lap, you know, he said, "Well, shit! Someone's someone's shooting at us." He had been sitting up upright in the car, and when I went back to look for him, all I could see was like this part of his mm-hmm. head, you know, like this. From, from the windshield. So I'm figuring, okay, how the heck am I going to shoot him in the head, you know, yeah. through the windshield at a 45 degree angle and at a 45 degree angle with the glass up like this, yeah. you know? So I kind of played Kentucky windage and um, I aimed at the spot in the windshield where I thought it would be the most 
like it tasted if the if the rounds penetrated and did ricochet slightly they would ricochet slightly to the left you know so in the end you know n- none of those um none of those pellets ended up hitting the uh, the passenger yeah. but it certainly made him duck his head though. yeah yeah and so, well you said in your book you said it blew out all the glass and then the glass yeah. hit him so yeah you got some but yeah kind of like horseshoes and hand grenades right yeah it doesn't really matter. exactly exactly but uh you know at that point in time i thought the gunfight was over you know i actually i was out of ammo I laid the shotgun next to, to the um next to my position you know and then i put my back up against the, the the car again, you know, and I looked over to my right, and this was the only time I remember saying anything, you know, is uh, when I looked at the agents across the street and I actually took my good arm and I said, mm-hmm. come on over, it's okay, come on over. And they yelled back at me saying, stay down, stay down. And I think, oh, oh, they don't know the gunfight's over, you know, so, and I looked north and then I looked south and they had set up a perimeter, and it was like, holy cow, man, there must have been, I don't know, 20, you know, north and south, there must have been 20 fire engines and ambulances waiting, you know, and, and, and to come in, and then God knows how many police cars, you know, because they were just lined up, you know, I mean, they was like, but nobody knew who was who, who was where, what was what, you know, so, and I'm thinking, oh my God, we are going to die, yeah. you know, we are we're it's fucked. Food. We're fucked. We're at, it's <laughs> over, right? Yeah. So, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, and, and that's, that's when um, psychologically, physically, I, I had been getting weaker and weaker because uh, I forgot to mention when I was moving on my back from, from where I was shot around McNeil's car, I was um, getting, um, it was getting darker and darker. It was getting mm-hmm. harder and harder for yeah. me to see. And, and for, um, for everyone listening, not, not, not the light getting darker. Your vision was getting darker and darker. The you said the blackness just right. My, my my internal vision, you yes. know, was getting darker and darker because uh, I I could tell that I was passing out. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's like you know, if anybody has ever fainted, you know, you so you yeah, start yeah. going like the everything gets kind of dark, you know, and then yeah, you know, you hope you don't land on something sharp, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. but uh, that's what was happening, and I could tell it was happening. But so I had to keep shaking my head. You know, hard to, to to stay awake. You know, it's like what the heck. You know, yeah. so when I saw that, and I knew that, and I knew we were bleeding out. You know, it's like, oh my god! I said, we are screwed. We are totally screwed. Yeah. You know, something happened uh, psychologically because physically, I knew I was I, I was weaker and weaker. But psychologically, you know, it, uh, people talk about the five stages of death. You know, yeah. Um, you get, um, you know. Uh, denial anger bargaining acceptance you know depression or depression comes comes from first but then yeah. acceptance comes last my stages of, of uh, five stages of death were you know one girlfriend meets the second girlfriend and then you're in trouble you know that type of you know i'm, I'm joking <laughs> if you want if you want if you want to flirt with death you know get two girlfriends in the same room you know <laughs> ed morales <laughs> a player but no but i mean in, in, back to seriousness okay you you, you yeah. go through you know acceptance you know uh bargaining 
that and I, 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 I went through all those stations except depression. Yeah. You know, because I, I, it was too short. I didn't have, yeah. have a, you know. Didn't have the time. It was just. You know, there really wasn't time. It was yeah. seconds, you know. So, yeah. And I bargained. I, you know, I asked God. I said, God, if you help me and if you save me, you know, I'll, I'll go to start going to church uh, once a month or, you know, it's twice a year or something. Uh, you know? it's a tough bargain. <laughs> you're bleeding out and you're like, I'll do you once a month. And he's like, not good enough, Ed. Not good enough. Bullets keep flying. He has the bargaining chips. You know, but, uh, you know, it's like, hey, you know, hey, you, you, really, do, you really do, you know, it's like, hey, you know what? But, you know, yeah. while this is all, while all of this is going on, I have this underlying volcano yes. of anger. Yes. And just pure violent just primitive anger, rage you know because i'm thinking you know what these sons of bitches if i am gonna die i said i am gonna make sure they are dead too you yeah, know you said you're so gonna, you said you're gonna bring it, them to hell personally it, it was a combination of like when i finally the the stages of death when i finally reached acceptance the volcano was just about to, to, to erupt Okay, it was perfect timing, you know, on two levels. When I reached acceptance, and and I, I say this for the, for the for the benefit of the audience, you know, is like it was liberating. Yeah, it was fascinating. It was when I said, "Hey, you know what? I am going to die today. Is the day I die? I accepted that." And. I lost all fear. Yeah, it just. I mean, what else? What else can? What else can happen to you? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, death is the ultimate. You know. Yeah. So well, I well, accepted death. I was going to say what we haven't touched on yet for everyone listening is that at, at this point, Platinum Maddox had killed two agents. We haven't gone over that, but that's where the, this rage is. They killed my friends. Right, you know they. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. You know, that, I mean, because yeah. when Ben, Jerry, and and John were were behind the car, I thought all three of them were dead. Okay, and as as luck would have it, you know, thankfully John Hanlon survived back there. So you know, I said, well, you know what? They they killed they killed my friends, I'll and for all them. intents and purposes, they've killed me. Yeah. Okay, because I've accepted death. Yeah. So. I'm going to do the Christian thing and I'm going to reach out and touch him with the the muzzle of my gun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to do what God would want and I'm going to bring him to hell personally. I laughed in your book when you said that. You're like, so I, I, I actually, uh, I rolled over on my right side, used my right hand to push up, you know, and I, I got on my knees. And then once I was on my knees, I used my, my right hand on, the, on the, the trunk of the car like this. And I drew my revolver and I was still crouched. I mean, I was still thinking tactics. I wasn't standing up straight like a board, you know, mm-hmm. like a silhouette target. I was still hunched down and I brought my, my, my revolver up and I peeked around to the left and the subjects were still there in the car. And I said, okay. Okay, I, I got you. You know, and th- they weren't aiming things at me. They, sh- they weren't shooting at me, which, you know, that's when I left cover. I left, you know, the position of cover. I took two steps forward. I set myself up in the position, you know, where my right foot was forward. My uh, left foot was slightly back. Brought the weapon up to eyesight, you know, the revolver and um, fired one shot at the uh, at the driver. And uh, I knew right away that the shot missed him because it, it went behind his neck and hit the, the seat. I could actually see the seat uh, 
the, uh, the material in the sheet puff up like that. And I'm thinking, ah, shit, man, you're a shitty shot, Ned. You know, so I took two steps forward, additional steps forward, set my position, you know, and then fired at, at the driver's head. And I hit him on the forehead right here, on the right side of the forehead. But I didn't know at the time, but because he was kind of like laying like this, looking towards me like this, and I hit him right in the forehead. But the round didn't penetrate yeah. his skull, yeah. and it just went underneath the skin, you know, and, and it went. He kind of basically shot him in the temple. Yeah. Like he shot me, you know, the, the, yeah. the round hit me in the temple area. Um, so um, took two steps forward, and I thought the driver was dead because from, from the headshot, I took two more steps forward, and I started focusing on the driver because that's the one that I was worried about that was still, you know, alive and potentially dangerous, you know, so two steps forward, I shot uh, into his chest area, two steps forward again, shot into his chest area and took my, an additional two steps forward, set my position and shot the um, the, the passenger again in the chest area. As it turns out, my, my rounds hit him in the face and not, not necessarily the chest area. Uh, one of them hit him in the neck and then uh, Three or two of them hit him in the uh, in the face. I was right at the door at that point in time. You know, I had one round left over, so I just kind of leaned down and I shot uh, the driver Platt. You know, shot him in the chest. And as it turns out, that round because um, he was laying down, it went up yeah. at an angle. It went uh, from um, like the, his center of the chest up and into the, his neck Funny, area and, yeah. and hit him in the spinal cord yeah. and paralyzed him at that point in time. And, and that is pretty much it, you know, in, in a nutshell, you know, the, um, the shooting, you know, after that, you know, the whole world came in to, to the scene, you know, yeah. uh, agent Reisner and agent Laurentia came in to assist me as I fired my last shot. They came up and, and, um, they said, Hey, Ed, it, it's over. Put your gun away. Put your gun away. It's over. Yeah. And I, you know, being, a good, well-trained agent, you know, I took my, my gun and I hosted it. Oh, yeah, yeah, you said you clipped it, yeah. And I even snapped the holster. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like a poster boy. Like a poster like, boy. You know, you do it 100,000 times, you know, you did it one more time, you know. So, and then I, 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 I stepped back and then I collapsed, you know. And then the whole, like I said, the whole row was there. Um, they, ambulances, you know, officers, and I mean, everything, you know. Yeah. So, um, after that, it just became a blur, you know. Yeah. And, and, um, I felt from the time I was wounded until the end of the shootout, I felt absolutely no pain. Yeah. Zero pain. Okay. I, as a matter of fact, I didn't even know I'd been shot because, um, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a physiological defense that the, uh, the human body has, you know, and um, about 20 or 30 seconds after the shootout ended and the adrenaline, you know, was was used up agony yeah yeah <laughs> absolute yeah. agony and then it you know i was in. i was grabbing the paramedics by the ankles going give me a shot <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> give me a shot. well yeah that's what you said is you were like you couldn't even hear it firing because just the adrenaline and you, you know i'm yeah. talking about you're like this this primitive blood lust like as the bullet hits yeah. them you're like Fuck yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then no, when really, it's absolutely. over, when it's over, absolutely. all of a sudden your body is like, "All right, Ed, hey, great job, you did it." Now you're hurting, <laughs> and you're, and yeah, you're like, when, uh, now, yeah. "Now you got to pay the bill." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's the morning after, and now the tab is due, and 
but that's how you described it. Yeah, you had lost a lot of blood. You said above anything you were thirsty, right? Makes yeah. sense. And uh, they give you morphine, but you're like, even that didn't entirely do it. No, it didn't. Not yeah. at all. I mean, yeah. it wasn't until I got to the hospital. Yeah. You know, they, they've got the good stuff in the hospital. Oh, yeah. You know, so. yeah. And I tell you what, though, I mean, uh, once I was in the hospital, I, I was okay. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I felt some some pain, but yeah. nothing compared to what what I felt on yeah. the street. You know, I yeah. mean, they, like I said, they, they mainlined it into my system. Yeah, and it's like, good hey, stuff. It's okay. The good know? stuff. Yeah, yeah. Comfortably numb by Pink Floyd starts playing. Right. And it's yeah, that's what you yeah, said. Yeah. You're like, I also started to realize just how hot the road was. You're like, yeah, you're like, absolutely. this isn't a comfy seat place to sit. You're like, this is yeah. burning, right? But it all comes, yeah, it, it all comes back and crashing in. It all comes crashing in. Yeah, I thought it was kind of, I thought it was funny though how the doctor, the orthopedic, originally refused to operate because he thought you were the criminal, and he was yeah, like, exactly. he was like, I'm not helping that guy, which is awesome. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I was just like, hell yeah, that was that, funny. Yeah, that was funny. And then, well, and then. And then, yeah, and then Reagan calls, right? Right. You know what? I I, I was oblivious. I yeah. mean, I was out of the, I was out of the loop on that. You know, but my my wife was uh, was in the emergency room yeah. running around, Liz. You know, uh, uh, and they said, Liz, Liz, come here. And she said, What? She said, The president's on the line. You know, and she goes, Oh my gosh. She said, what the Just hell tell is him going I'm on? sorry, I can't take this. Right I'm busy. Now. I'm bu- I'll call him back, Ronnie. I'll call you right back. <laughs> But, well, he did have me up at the, to the White House. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, he said you went in, and yeah, he looked at you and was like, "I heard you boys had a day, you know, just not." not that's why. Yeah. That's why I wanted to ask. I know you only met him for a minute, but yeah, that was pretty cool, though. Reagan, a cool guy. Yeah, he was cool. That's you know what? He's uh, taller than that. He was deceivingly tall. You know, he was about because I. I mean, I'm six feet tall, and I had to look up at him you know i mean by at least an inch or two well, you know? as a munchkin i hate you all tall men equally so don't well, worry i don't you know, discriminate he was, he was you know I'm, I'm tall i'm I'm thick and tall but he was strapping tall yeah. you know he was like a oh, he was like a like a western cowboy tall you yeah. know like real slender literally an know? actor that did western cowboys so yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and he was uh, he was you know, very impressive man, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just looking, you know, and, and he was very Hell cool, yeah. calm, collected, you know. Hell yeah. And I want to, yeah, and, and don't let me, I know I've, I've kept you on for 90 minutes, and uh, don't let me keep you, but I have, yeah, I was going to say, they, but then they went on to, right, they went on to investigate, and they were, in true bureaucratic bullshit, they were like, well, uh, Mr. Morales, you might have used excessive force. <laughs> and you were like, and they were like, you shot these two unarmed men. And it was like, it was like, oh, poor Platin Maddox, right? Yeah, Ed exactly, comes up with you know? bloodlust one day and just decides it, to kill uh, these yeah, two innocent men. You know what? I men. thought that was pretty ironic. That you know? was it's some like, bullshit. Oh, give me a break, please. That was you some know? bullshit. Yeah. You know, but you know what? Luckily, all of that happened in the background. I mean, I yeah. never knew about yeah, it yeah, 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 until yeah. until I was notified. You know, it's like, you know, hey, it, it, by the way, you were under investigation. I said, really? For what? Um, yeah, maybe excessive force you know it's like that's some bullshit <laughs> that is some bullshit does that not boil your blood like yeah that's what i say you know it's yeah. like yeah take that case to the court you know yeah. see what happens yeah. <laughs> yeah right i mean on one hand i guess i can see like the you know maybe that's a sign of like how far we've come as a society that like everything gets investigated for excessive which is probably a good thing right you know yeah otherwise yeah, yeah. it leads to a police state but like i can see from your standpoint where it's just like are you kidding me yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
That was awesome. Cool. That was cool. awesome, Mr. Ralph. I'd, yeah. I'd like to come back and we can discuss other issues if you'd like. Please, them. please do. Yeah, I know. I just kept. Yeah, most episodes are an hour. I know you and I just you and I just went off for an hour and a half. So let's let's wrap this one up because for me, around around ninety minutes, I my brain starts to lose the ability to focus, and yeah. I realize how much uh, that makes me sound like a wimp. As you're just finishing this story about bleeding out, <laughs> here I am, and I'm like, well. You know, I start to get tired after 90 minutes. I need some coffee and crackers. And you're like, there I was bleeding out with arterial shit flying out of my forehead, landing headshots. And then the president calls me and I'm like, I'm like, hey, Ed, I got to go to the bathroom. But, you know, hey, you know, we're both heroes in our own sense. Right. Yeah. That's funny. But um, yeah, I would love to have you back on. I can I'll shoot you an email. And um, for everyone listening. It really is. It's FBI Miami Firefight, Five Minutes That Changed the Bureau by Edmundo and Elizabeth Morales. It's on Kindle. It's not on Audible, which I'm very upset about. But it's, like I said, it is, I loved it because even with the amount of detail that Ed just went into, there's even more in the book. And it's, there's just little things. I mean, the the killing of of, uh, Jerry and Ben, the... But every little thing you describe, so like, like the the slideshow of images, and then you go into like the psychology of what you're seeing. It really is, like I said, it's just like those music videos where you can the first person drunk. I felt like I was like, okay, I, I get it, right? Because if you just watch a movie like me, you're like, yeah, you know, chomping on your cigar, like you know, with an M60. But no, in your mind, it really is. You're just like, where the hell am I? Why am I looking at dirt? And it's just everything <laughs> slows down. But it also, I think, gives a lot of, uh, I guess, concrete support to just like what the fog of war is. You're like, there's no, you doesn't matter what your plan is. It all goes out the window, right? And it's just yeah, the yeah, cracking absolutely. bullets and it's but we can wrap this one up and I'll have you, know, you on what, a second. Before time. you do one, one sure. last thing, um, if people want an autographed copy of the book, they should go to my website um com and order from there. If they want an autographed copy, otherwise Kindle Kindle works, you know. Kindle I will put that in the description and the link, the top link in the bio. It's it's about a five-hour read. Just get it. Mr. Morales doesn't know it yet, but he's going to put it on Audible, and he's going to narrate <laughs> it himself. It, you know, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are good. Pl- okay, I need good. to find a, uh, a voice actor. You, you know, to- read it. You. It is. There are a lot of great narrate. I listen to a ton of audiobooks. My library is like eleven hundred titles, so I'm not bullshitting you. There are a lot of great narrators out there. There is nothing better than when the author reads the book themselves, because. It doesn't matter what their voice is. It doesn't matter if it doesn't fit. It is, to me, there is a specific connection that is just, Mm -hmm. so for whatever it's worth, you should narrate it, but it's it's your book. Do do what you want. But I think it would be great. You have a great voice. It's good. It'd be one thing if you had my voice and you're like, and there I was with my gun and I was shooting at the bad guys. No, you've, you've got a good, you've got a good grizzled, you've got a good grizzled retired FBI voice. So it'll Thank work. You. But yeah, autographed copy will be, you can get it from his website. And Ed will fill it out uh, personally for all you ladies that want his autograph. Just, you know, make sure, you know, send some money with lipstick on it. Just kiss it and he'll, he'll autograph it for you personally. He's a ladies man. He's tall, thick, sexy man, but... <laughs> Mr. Morales, thank you, sir. Your book on Kindle, online, get it, print, Kindle, whatever, soon audible. And until next time.
you have a good one. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Morales. You have a good day, sir. All right. Thank you. All right, my man. Take care. God bless America. God bless everybody. Stay safe.